like my fifth time starting this podcast. Maybe my, yeah, probably like my fifth time. I just don't know. We're at a weird place. Let me just put it that way. We're at a weird spot in the offseason right now. We're at this segment where free agency finished up, the draft, and don't get me wrong, there's a lot to talk about. At the same time, can we talk about it all yet? Free agency, it's still going on. DeAndre Ayton, he hasn't even signed. Colin Sexton, he's somebody who's still out there. There's things that can still happen for a lot of different teams. There are trades. Kevin Durant, I, I'm assuming, is holding up certain deals. The Kyrie Irving situation. Teams are still trying to figure out what they're going to look like next year, so it's silly to sit here and try to make grand observations or grand conclusions, I should say, about what we're going to get next year or about the offseason as a whole. On top of that, we're moving into Summer League. We're about to get way too hyped about some random undrafted free agent, and we're about to get way too underwhelmed about the fact that a top 20 pick, hopefully not Dale and Terry on the Chicago Bulls, performed poorly, and then we're going to assume, oh my god, the team blew it. So, I don't know, this is just a very strange time of the year, and with that in mind, I was like, how should I do this show this week? Uh, I, I want to be consistent, for sure, because, you know, it's only my third third episode. I got to give some consistency. I got to show I'm dedicated to this. But at the same time, I didn't want to go deep dive too big into anything, because everything can change over the next handful of days, uh, still over the next week or so. So, with all that in mind... I'm going to keep this this episode pretty brief. I think for the most part, I decided I'm not going to bring a guest on right now. Uh, I'm just instead going to rant for a little bit. Hopefully that's enjoyable to some people. I don't know. We'll see. But I think I'm just going to try to run through a couple free agency thoughts that I have uh, from what we've seen thus far. On top of that, I'll give a little bit of thoughts specifically on what the Chicago Bulls did because I do think they're done. Maybe we get one more move around the margins, but... You know, for the most part, I think we kind of know what this team's going to look like heading into next year, so I can at least give some thoughts on that, and then uh, maybe wrap up with a couple Summer League thoughts, but that's all, that's where I think we're going to leave it for now. Hopefully that's, again, like I said, hopefully that's still interesting, but uh, yeah, let's start with some free agency discussion. Okay, I need to limit myself on this free agency talk. There's There's a lot of little things, like I said, that we can get into, but I boiled it down to five topics, and With those five topics, I've decided I want to basically just give myself two minutes to spew my thoughts. I've written down some bullet points, and yeah, so we're going to go through those five ideas. Maybe I'll even edit in a timer. Wow, we're really up in the game. We're really up in the game on this show. So let's start with Bradley Beal. Bradley Beal, the $251 million man. Are we sure it's worth it? Are we sure he deserved that contract? I get it, right? Look at look at Zach. I mean, Zach Levine, two hundred fifteen million. It's not that far off. He also got a max deal, but Bulls kind of in a similar situation as uh, as as the Washington Wizards. You know, you just you have a, you have a star, you have an all star talent. You want to make sure you keep that all star talent. So I get on that behalf of the Washington Wizards. I understand them wanting to just make sure they keep the asset, they keep him uh, there. With all that said. He's still a little bit, you know, he's, he's getting older. He's somebody who has made the playoffs once since the 2017-18 seasons. Uh, he's somebody who, last year, we saw his scoring drop from 30 points per game to 23 points per game. His three-point percentage dropped from around 35% to 30%. I get it. He was playing injured. You know, there, there's we can't hold anything against him. He's still, for sure, one of the NBA's elite scorers. But is he worth it for the Washington Wizards to continue building around? 
We've already seen the team kind of struggle to put the right pieces around him over the past couple of years, and to be clear, I don't think that's Bradley Beal's fault. I don't at all. I think that's probably the Wizards' fault, just not being able to find the right combination. So do they think Kristaps Przingis and Bradley Beal is the right combination? I don't know. So this one has had me a little bit uh, thrown for a loop. I, I understand wanting to keep the asset, but I don't see him as the number one guy on a championship team, and I also don't know if I see them as capable of finding the that number one to go alongside him so he can move to number two, or the number two and the number three. It puts the Wizards in a really interesting place moving forward, and it's hard to see them as a team that can move up into that upper echelon of the Eastern Conference, at least for a team like the Chicago Bulls. We saw them kind of do it last year, stay within that top six. We've struggled to see the Wizards kind of perform in that in that same way. So I'm, I'm incredibly interested to see kind of what the team does from here, but I don't know. This feels like one of those moves that puts them in a puts them in a weird place moving forward. Okay, that was basically two minutes. I held myself to the mark. Let's try it again, and let's talk about the New York Knicks. The Knicks did a lot of Knicks things, I feel like, <laughs> this offseason. They went far too heavy in one direction with Jalen Brunson. They kind of messed up draft night by, I don't know, just not taking somebody good at the, you know, with the number 11 pick or whatever they had. They had a good opportunity to land. It felt like a young, uh, a young prospect that uh, still had a lot of upside, but instead they opted to acquire draft picks. And look, I understand acquiring, you know, stockpiling draft picks is never a bad move, especially if you're a big market franchise who has been hoping for a long time to acquire a superstar talent. So maybe, you know, that's what they're, they're looking to do. As for the Jalen Brunson thing, I, don't, I like Jalen Brunson. I do. He showed a lot of he showed a lot of growth last year. I think when Luca was off the floor, we saw kind of how much more he could give you, how much more he could provide your team, the stronger scoring role that he can have. So I think on the Knicks next year, he could easily have a borderline All Star campaign if he's kind of handed the handed the keys, right? With that said, is he the guy that that takes the Knicks up a notch? Like, how much is he moving the needle next year for them? Maybe he unlocks a little bit for Julius Randle. I'm interested to see what that combination looks like. Sure, the backcourt with him and R.J. Barrett is is definitely appealing, and it's young enough to still have uh, upside moving forward. But for me, I see Brunson as somebody who's kind of like a Drew Holiday. Not in terms of how they play, but in terms of the piece you add to your team. The Milwaukee Bucks... They had Giannis and Chris. Then they go out and they grab Drew to be that kind of last piece, that third star to maybe put them over the top. I feel like that might be Brunson's ceiling. Maybe he's that third star that puts another team over the top. So is it wrong of the Knicks to grab him? No. It's just, do you want to start with that third piece and then have to find those other ones? I guess it's kind of like what I was saying with the Bradley Beal situation. So I don't know. Alongside that, uh, Mitchell Robinson, Isaiah Hartenstein, at least the center position, I do think they killed that. Can't sleep on Isaiah Hartenstein. I think he's uh, he's really going to offer them a lot of value, and I think there's uh, still upside in his game, too. So they had some decent moves. It's just I don't think the vision's there. I can't fully see the vision just yet. All right, we've gotten through two. I think that last one I went over by like 12 seconds. So let's let's see if uh, let's see if I can keep it within the constraints this time. We're gonna talk about the Detroit Pistons, okay? I might be a little biased here in terms of bringing them up. It's not like they've had a jaw-dropping offseason or anything like that. I just have a little more. I pay a little more attention to them as uh, obviously focusing and writing all the time about a Central Division team in the Chicago Bulls. But the Pistons did 
do a really good job. I mean, if you are lucky enough to have Jaden Ivey fall to, into your lap at number five because the Kings are scared of the fit that he might have, which is silly. You shouldn't worry about a fit. But I like Keegan Murray. I understand. I understand the pick if you're if you're the Kings. But Jaden Ivey and Cade Cunningham as a significant backcourt. I've talked about it. I think on the first time we did this show in the draft, uh, that's that's a great core to already build around. Then you add Jalen Duran to that. That's extremely exciting. The reason that they come up in my brain when talking about kind of top five offseason things thus far is because I really can see them taking a pretty surprising step next year. I compare it a lot to what we saw from Cleveland last year. Darius Garland, he was in his third year, Cade's in his two, so there's a little bit of a difference there. But Darius Garland, third year, takes a big step in the right direction. He becomes an all-star level talent. Then you have Evan Mobley, a rookie of the year candidate who performs outstandingly on really both ends of the floor, but especially defensively. And those two were kind of the anchors to propelling this team. Yes, Jared Allen had a great year, but those were kind of the two to to really propelling this team up into a play-in tournament level squad. And I can definitely see that happening with the Pistons this year. I mean, Ivy's going to have to, you know, perform at that rookie of the year level, but Cade already showed at the end of last year that he's pretty fast in terms of his development. Like, he's getting there, he can run your team, he's doing awesome, and then I think we can't overlook veteran additions of Nerlens Noel and Alec Burks. Those are two guys who, playoff teams, they, they've been on a playoff team, and, and they're good role players, so I just think those are guys who, who can uh, kind of keep things steady for this squad. And then Sadiq Bey, Marvin Bagley, Isaiah Stewart, there's some depth there for this team to work with. So, uh, And then Dwayne Casey, they're well coached, right? So I could see this team really taking a step in the right direction last next year. Is it going to be significant? Like, are they going to be a top six team? Absolutely not. But would I be shocked if you told me that they're sitting in, you know, the 10th spot next year? No, I think, I think it's achievable. Okay, we're going to move on. I'm kind of, I'm like in the 215 range. Maybe I should set my clock, my clock to 215, but that feels, feels a little odd. Okay, let's, let's talk about the Clippers. I think we have to. They're the little brother of the Lakers. They never get talked about as much, even though the Lakers freaking stink right now. The Clippers have an awesome, awesome team. And I don't necessarily think we could completely overlook the signing of John Wall. He's not who he used to be. I get that. He's not an all-star caliber player anymore. Exactly uh, how long he can stay healthy is an enormous question. How long anyone can stay healthy out of that uh, those big three on their team of Kawhi, Paul George, and Wall is a huge question for them. But John Wall, when he did play for the Rockets, what was 40 games two years ago, this was still a player that was averaging 20.7 assists. Sure, the team sucked, but he showed flashes of his former self. He's never going to reach that peak, but he's still a smart player. He still has some of that bounce, that athleticism to it, and he's a good shot maker. So having him on the floor alongside those two stars with Kawhi Leonard coming back, who you can never rule out, Paul George coming back, who has performed when he's healthy at borderline, you know, MVP, best two-way player in the league level, that's an incredibly scary team, especially when you factor in the fact that Reggie Jackson, Luke Kennard, Nick Batude, Marcus Morris, Robert Covington, Norman Powell, Terrence Mann, Ivik Zubac, who's extremely overpaid now, but those were just a team alone, a group of guys who already gave you a 42-40 and 40 record of the year prior, a team that already had you in that 500 range. Now you're adding two still all-star caliber players and one, you know, veteran asset who I think is, is, is a worthwhile gamble. That's a team who I think can easily be thrust back into that finals-level conversation this season. So 
I really liked what they did. I'm really excited to watch them. I hope they can stay healthy. That's like a number one league pass team for me. I'll be staying up late and watching them on the West Coast. They're, I'm not a betting man, but if I was going to throw some money on it, I wouldn't be afraid to put money on the Clippers to win the ship. All right, you know what the last story has to be. It's the biggest story of the offseason thus far. Rudy Gobert. That trade, I should say, I don't know if I could do this under two minutes. I'll try, but I'm probably going to sound incredibly incoherent because I still have to put my thoughts together on this. On one hand, I'll start with this. I do understand the Rudy Gobert appeal. I do, 100%. Great player. Obviously one of the best defensive players in the league. I think some of the offensive concerns that are out there uh, around him are a little bit overblown. He's still a very strong, uh, one of the best finishers around the rim. He's a good role man. He's a lob threat. I think if you have somebody to kind of feed him the ball more in the post, which Donovan Mitchell was never going to do, he can thrive a little bit more as an offensive player. I also think some of the concerns about him in small ball situations are a little bit overblown because Utah's perimeter defenders, their backcourt defense, was absolutely atrocious. He literally had to do everything. Now, is it going to be a ton different on Minnesota right now? I don't know. We're going to see. But if you add some more perimeter defense, which Minnesota should be at least a little bit better, uh, some of those concerns can can shrink. With all that said, you give up basically five first-round picks and like four rotation players for Rudy Gobert, I mean, that's just an insane, ridiculous amount. If that's how much he goes for, is Kevin Durant going to cost every single limb on on somebody's body? Like, I just don't understand giving up that much, especially when he is going to be making, what, $47 million in a couple of years. Plus, you don't even know how he's going to play with Carl Anthony Towns. You don't know what the fit is there. You're clogging up the lane, too, for Anthony Edwards a little bit more. So the it's just there's a lot of risk, obviously, in this move. So much so that you're like, is the risk worth the reward? How much is my ceiling raised with Rudy Gobert? Are they a championship? You know, you do that kind of move if you move into that championship level tier. Can We can't put them in that category right now. We can't. So was it worth it? I don't think so. Maybe they'll prove me wrong, but I just can't imagine giving up that much is going to work in their favor. Okay, how did all that go? Was that <laughs> was that quick enough? I don't know. I think, and hopefully it all made sense, but those are just some random thoughts. Uh, wanted to speak them out loud. I didn't necessarily get to write about them over on the site this week, so just some quick thoughts I'll throw out there. Now, I do want to move on specifically to what the Chicago Bulls did. Overall, I'm going to say that it was underwhelming, right? I guess the first thing I should say is the signing, re-signing of Zach Levine was the number one most important thing to do this offseason. They accomplished that. And I guess I, it's hard for me to say, but to the ownership's credit, they did pay up. They did give him the biggest contract uh, in Chicago Bulls history. That was the number one move that needed to happen this offseason. To the Bulls' credit, they accomplished that. With that said, second on the list, shooting, rim protection. Those were the two big things. And I guess wing deep defense, right? Like a 3 and D caliber player that can fit into your rotation and and and, uh, and give you something on both ends. But basically shooting rim protection. Did they accomplish that? No. I don't think I don't think that they did. And that and that's what kind of even with the Levine situation really dampers a lot of what we saw. I think we thought with this front office that they were going to go out and try to aggressively solve these problems. I understand continuity. That's not a problem for me. I'm all here for sticking with even Nikola Vucevic, who I know a lot of 
uh, Bulls fans and people around the league kind of questioned this year with his his true fit on this team. But I understand keeping him, keeping Zach, keeping DeMar together, still riding the Lonzo train because of how well he played when healthy. Obviously, Alex Caruso. I get keeping all that group together. They played awesome when they were all healthy. At the same time, there were still holes even when they were all healthy. There was a lack of size in the front court that needed to be addressed. There was an obvious lack of three-point shooting in the playoffs that needed to be addressed. Andre Drummond and Goran Dragic, as decent as they are in veterans, they, they don't fill those two holes. Now, I want to be clear, again, in a vacuum, Andre Drummond and Goran Dragic are totally decent, fine signings for a playoff caliber team. That's why it's I can't be too upset with them joining the roster. They at least do provide veteran experience at two positions that the Bulls didn't have before. But let's talk and start with Andre Drummond for a minute. This signing, I, I kind of compared this signing in my brain to like biting into the last piece of pizza that has been sitting in the box for three hours, right? Like you ordered a pizza, everyone ate a bunch, there's one piece left three hours later, you bite into it. It's that corner piece, it's mostly crust, it's whatever. It tastes fine. It gets the job done. It fills a hole in your stomach. It fills a hole on this Bulls roster. He's a big dude. Especially, specifically in the rebounding department, he will make a big difference. He gives you an, a level of offensive rebounding that they didn't have, and the Bulls were bottom three, I believe, in offensive rebound, rebounding percentage last year. He fills a hole immediately. He's going to give you one of the better backup centers uh, in terms of rebounding in the league. Now, with that said, he isn't an elite rim protector. He never has been. Yes, he's a big dude. It's easy to look at him and be like, oh, that's an imposing presence. You know, the Bulls didn't have. I, sir, the size is great. But as a defender, he doesn't give you the kind of shot-blocking presence, the kind of true rim-protecting presence this team wanted to complement Nikola Vucevic. In fact, he's, his pick-and-roll coverage, you know, it's a little bit questionable just like Vucevic's. His ability to run the floor, it's a little bit questionable just like Nikola Vucevic's. His offensive game, not he doesn't provide, and I'm not saying that in the backup center you're going to find anything that was was uh, gave you much on offense. That's not what you needed with Vucevic there, but he's also not going to provide much for you on that end of the floor, other than potentially, you know, a big dude who, can, again, can be a little bit of a screener, he'll, he'll grab some lobs, what have you. But when we think about what this team was looking for at that backup center position, I just question whether or not Drummond is the right fit. It's going to be interesting to see. I think out of the two, he at least makes more sense probably than, than signing Goran Dragic simply because he's a bigger body. He is somebody that, like I said, will satisfy a rebounding hole for you. But defensively, I think there, we might reach a point where Bulls fans are a little underwhelmed at what he's providing to them uh, in that department. I guess I should say too on Andre Drummond, he's at least a uh, a decent passer on the offensive end, right? We know that this front office does value this. So while I'm a little bit concerned about him clogging the lane on that end of the floor, uh, I do think he can at least keep the ball in motion. He can keep things moving. He's a decent uh, kick out. You know, he's somebody who could find the open man and kick out to them. So he at least offers you that. And we know how much, like I said, the front office does value that ability to, to kind of keep the rock uh, moving. He's also better than Tristan Thompson, right? At the end of the day, he's at least Phil... He's at least somebody who's better than what you had last year. I just think there was a there was some hype <laughs> within that I saw, you know, on Twitter or whatever from Bulls fans. I'm not sure he's going to satisfy exactly what the holes that that 
Some people think he will, but I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. He's been a decent backup the past couple of years. I do think he's coming into his own a little bit as a role. He's still young at 28 years old, so there's still time for him to kind of come into his own in this new backup big man role. So we'll see how it goes. Moving on to Goran Dragic. Now, while the Drummond signing makes more sense than Dragic, I don't really have as many questions, right, if that makes sense, about what Dragic offers this team. Health is a concern. Uh, he's struggled to stay healthy the past couple of years. With that said, he's great guard insurance, and the rest of the Bulls roster has struggled to stay healthy as well, right? Lonzo Ball, of course, we know, has uh, the past several years struggled. Last year, he only played 30-something games. Uh, he, Goran Dragic will at least give the Bulls an option if he goes down. Also, gives them an option if Kobe goes down or they want to move on and trade Kobe midway through the season or even if they do it before uh, training camp starts. He's somebody who can give you offense, good catch-and-shoot threat. Two years ago, I believe he shot 40% on catch-and-shoot threes. He's long been a good three-point shooter, and he's also just a smart playmaker. He's somebody that will be give, be able to give you more facilitating than someone like Kobe White could in the half in half-court settings. So I do think he fills a hole if you get injured, if that makes sense. Otherwise, it's going to be kind of hard to see how they want to fit him into the equation and how they want to use him. I guess Kobe's, you know, they have Kobe, they have Lonzo, they have Io, they have Alex Caruso. Dalen Terry is technically going to be playing in the backcourt and was technically listed as a guard coming into into the NBA. So they're stuffed at that position, but heading into the playoffs, things like that, I like having the option of Goran Dragic to come in off the bench and give you a steady hand. The Bulls did not have that last year in the playoffs against the Bucks. They were relying on super young players. They were relying on Kobe White, relying on Io DeSumo. Having someone like Dragic, any playoff team would like to have him, so I get it. My only question is, could you have found someone that filled more of a specific hole? Like we said, the, the three-point shooting at the wing, you know, a bigger body. Could you have found somebody who, with the money that you gave him, that made a little more sense for what this team was looking for. Maybe not. Maybe they couldn't. And Nikola Vucevic reportedly played a role in convincing him, so maybe they go to the front office, they say, hey, Goran Dragic wants to come here. And at the end of the day, as a highly coveted veteran prospect, who's cheap because of how cheap he was going to be, I guess if someone comes to you and says, hey, he's willing to come here, you just take it. You, you take a player like that on your roster. It's someone the Bulls didn't have. He's supposed to be a good locker room presence other than when he was in Toronto, I guess. But he's supposed to be a good locker room dude. Uh, the only thing I hope is, I guess, that nobody shows him too many Derrick Rose dunking on him highlights. We don't we don't need that. The other move, re-signing Derrick Jones Jr. Nothing sexy about this. He was here last year. I was surprised it happened because I know I keep talking about it, but there are all these holes. I thought him, you know, his contract just naturally being over, him being an unrestricted free agent and also falling out of the rotation during the later half of last year. I thought this would be an opportunity for the Bulls to just kind of move on, use that roster spot uh, to find somebody else. But clearly he made an impression on them uh, as he did last year. I think maybe we can look at this as the Javante Green situation for the Bulls about a year ago where you know, we were surprised they handed him a new two-year contract after he barely played for them while they acquired him at the trade deadline. But they gave him a new deal. He comes into this year. He plays an extremely pivotal role for them. He's starting a handful of games. So maybe Billy Donovan sees a world where Derrick Jones Jr. can do more for you. And I can see that world as well. He may not be the most bruising force, you know, that the Bulls need in the front court, but 
He's extremely athletically gifted. He still possesses, I think, pretty nice two-way potential. His jump shot is always going to be a big question mark, but I think last year he demonstrated real flashes as a role man, as an ultra-small ball five, as you know, somebody who can be, I think he can even progress more as, you know, an off-ball threat in terms of his cutting ability and things like that. So there's areas where I could easily see him fitting in on the offensive end more, but his value is is still going to come defensively. He's got that elite, elite seven-foot length, even though he's shorter. I think he can easily kind of fill that backup power forward um, position. So there's room for him there, and I think he fits with the ball poppy style that we we know the Bulls want to play based off how they played the first half of last year, right? Like the second half, DeMar DeRozan had to take over because of all the injuries, and they slowed down a lot. But Derrick Jones Jr. fits with the way they want to play, which is this transition-heavy team, this ball poppy, keep everything moving, cut towards the rim, everybody's in motion. Uh, he fits with that vibe, so I understand keeping him, and the price tag was cheaper than I thought it would be. So I was cool with it. I, I think... The move, uh, I like having a player like him, if that makes sense. I don't know. This is just one of those situations where, and I've said it before, Drummond, Drogic, Derek Jones Jr. I like all three of those players. Well, Drummond, I've, I've had, I don't know, I've had a lot of questions about Drummond <laughs> in the past, but he seems like, you know, a good locker room presence, somebody who's who has, like I said, learning to, to adjust to his new role. So we'll see what happens. But in a vacuum, those are all three players who you wouldn't mind having on a playoff caliber team. With that said, are they the three players you want on a playoff caliber team that has the holes the Bulls have? I don't know. I don't I don't know how to answer that. I, I really did think there was going to be, you know, a bigger move to get somebody who clearly more distinctively satisfied that role. What concerns me is not the fact that the front office was unable to get a player that better fit into kind of those holes we thought this team had. What concerns me more is the fact that I feel like they were unable to seek out those players. It seems like ownership is unwilling to reach that luxury tax level that was talked about since the trade deadline. It seems like there was a belief out there and I was, oh, everyone was always hesitant. It made sense. But it seemed like there was a belief out there. It's like, oh, okay, finally, for what, the second time in franchise history, the Bulls are going to go into the luxury tax. They're going to use the full mid-level exception. They're going to do what it takes to add the right pieces around the core that they want, they clearly want. They didn't do that this year. They left their $1.5 million, I think, still before the luxury tax. They have $7 million of the MLE left that they can technically use and go into that luxury tax. They're clearly refusing to do that right now, which just puts a cap on your team, right? It puts a ceiling on what your team can accomplish when you're unwilling to do what it takes to spend the money. And everyone else, you have Boston, you have Golden State, you have these teams that were in the finals, that were competing for championships. All of them, practically all of them, are paying extra to make that happen. You put yourself at a disadvantage, or at least you shrink the margin for error by a lot when you're unwilling to pay that extra money. Because for the Bulls, now what they're betting on is health. And we know with this team, that's a scary bet. They're betting on this, and, and they're not only betting on health, they're betting on continued growth to potentially organically fill the holes that they had. They're hoping that their existing core can just figure it out. And I don't hate that approach, like I said, I do believe in some of what they've already built, but this is a process you have to keep building, and I fear that they're going to remain stagnant in terms of their approach of 
building this team to a championship level. I think they see like, okay, if we get into the playoffs, maybe just one year will be our year. Sometimes you have to make it your year. You got to set yourself up so you can take advantage of that opportunity when the time comes. Right now, I don't even know if the Bulls are in a position to take advantage when the time comes because I'm still worried about Lonzo Ball's knee. I'm still worried about whether or not these three all-star caliber players have enough defense, uh, have much of a, enough of a defensive mount mentality to take this team to the next level that they need to go. So yeah, there are real concerns there for me, and uh, I don't know. But I don't want to get. <laughs> I can't go too far. I can't go deep too deep into it, right? I talked about it at the beginning. Like, there's still a lot of time left before training camp comes before we're watching preseason games like we're just in summer league right now that's still very early in the NBA offseason all things considered so things can still change there are still trades that can be made there's still adjustments there's still roster roster tweaks we can still see someone like Tony Bradley the Bulls wave them I don't know there's still a lot of moves or uh, around the NBA that can be made that that impact everything that impact the Bulls competition that impact their roster so we'll see that's why I can't uh, I, I've been <laughs> online, I've seen so many people just go hard, you know, at uh, at what Chicago, and not just Chicago, but some of what other teams have done, right? Like, And I get it, that's kind of our instinct, but and it's hard for me to try to step back and just wait it out, we'll see what happens. But I think that's the best approach for now, so. I love Summer League. I do, I always enjoy, I always enjoy sitting down and watching it, I get kind of said this at the beginning of the show, I get way too hyped about a player who's likely not going to make uh, an NBA roster. But it's it's just a hopeful time of year, right? It's something like, uh, it's like waking up um, on Christmas morning and thinking you're going to get everything that was on your list, and then you open it and, you know, you got nothing on your list. But it's okay, you still got some good stuff. People care about you. They gave you some presents. That's just kind of what this vibe is to me. That's The summer league is, is w- that waking up being hopeful, this is all fun, and then you'll worry about what actually happens later. And we've already had some fun moments. You had, you know, Chet Holmgren going off in his first summer league game, recording what a summer league, I think it was a summer league record breaker with six blocks. And then afterwards, he's there just <laughs> saying he's going to break it the next game, which he didn't do because that was another awesome moment where the Grizzlies' Kenny Lofton Jr., somebody who is fighting to prove his worth and, and, and get himself uh, on an NBA roster officially, he's somebody who just bulldozes the number two pick of the draft to the rim several times and just beats him to a pulp, showing, hey, you know how great Chet Holmgren was in that first game? Yeah, those concerns about his size right now, those concerns about, you know, some of what he can truly accomplish on the defensive end against bigger bodies, like, those are real, too. So, (laughs) that's how Summer League goes. Every game is like, oh, that guy's awesome, and then next game, oh, wait, okay, did we overreact? You have other kind of fun star players to watch, I guess, if you want to call them that, in Obviously, you have the Paolo and Jabari thing, but you have James Wiseman, who's supposed to be playing for the Warriors. I think they're also playing Moses Moody. You have a lot of a lot of fun talent that's still going to be out there, and it's exciting. It's exciting to see, you know, okay, how much better are those guys already than these rookies who are trying to come into the league? How much better are rookies than guys who are have been in the league and trying to continue to establish themselves? I'm excited to watch it all unfold. I think it's going to be an entertaining what, 10 days, two weeks, we'll see how it goes, I, I, I gotta sit down, I gotta absorb it, I gotta take it all in, and that's probably gonna be what we talk a lot about next week, 
impressions of what we've seen around the league, impressions of what we've seen from Dalen Terry on the Chicago Bulls, maybe some Marco Simonovich talk, but I think I'll stop it there. Again, I wanted to keep things brief. I wanted to keep things short. I also just want to say real quick thanks to anybody who has continued to listen. Uh, remember to follow on either Spotify or Apple if you'd like. Remember to leave a review. I feel like that's something that helps, I guess. I've been t- <laughs> I've been told that helps. Uh, so if you would like to leave a review, uh, just, you know, click on the five star or whatever. Or if you think it's four, I don't, I don't know. Whatever. It's up to you. Can't press you into doing anything. But that's there if you want to do it. Otherwise, I appreciate you stopping in for this 30, 35 minutes or so. And we'll talk again next week. Thank you guys for listening.